been talking about kings and, and what leads up to um, God giving kings to Israel. And today's handout says Saul to David. Um, just want to recap for just a second on a couple things. In particular, what Samuel said, when you get a king, here's what he is going to do to you. And that's in 1 Samuel chapter 8, 11 through 20. And um, I made kind of a bullet list there for you. There's, there's uh, what, seven things that he mentions a king will do. When we, you, know, you want a king? All right, fine. But keep in mind, this is what's going to happen. In 1 Samuel 8, he says, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. First, he will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and run before his chariots. Basically, he's going to enlist them in the army. They are going to be drafted into service in the army, whether you like it or not. So, you want a king? That's fine, but he's going to conscript you into the army. Right now, the way it was set up is when Israel went to war, everybody said, come on out to fight. And so we went out to fight. And then they would go back to their lives. There was no professional standing army in Israel. It was more or less as needed. But what he's talking about here is that there's going to be a standing army, and which is also going to be used to keep you in line. The second thing, he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and fifties, some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. So not only will he make them fight in his army, but he's going to force them to work for him and provide um, to care for his household and build things for him. And this isn't necessarily going to be your work. This is going to be your obligation now. It wasn't like the king would go out and buy these things from the local tradesmen. He would say, oh, you're a blacksmith? Guess what? Now you're my blacksmith. Whether you like it or not, you're not your own anymore. Um, the third one, verse 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers, which is really particularly offensive because you know, conscripting men to, to war is one thing, but he's going to come and take your daughters, too. And, and that, that is particularly sort of personal within the family. To sort of, you know, men were willing to go and fight in these things, but now to come and say, well, I'm going to take your daughters, too, and they're going to come and they're going to, um, you know, they're going to adorn the, the palace of, of the king now instead of being, instead of adorning, you know, your household and being your the treasure of your eye, it's going to be, he's going to take them. Verse 14, you'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. So, if he doesn't take you personally, he's going to take your stuff. What do we call that? He's going to impose a tax. He's going to tax you now. Now you are going to be compelled by the standing army that he is going to create to make sure that you give your 10% to care for him and his servants even. He's saying that even the king's servants are more important than your, than your first fruits. Because really, you know, the 10th, who did the 10th belong to? We heard that in Deuteronomy today. Who did the 10th of the first fruits really belong to? God. So it's interesting that, you know, here's what, 
here's what the king is going to set up, which is really actually already what you do with God, but, but he does it for you and provides you all these things, but these are the things that already already uh, belong to, to the true God, to your true king. Um, he will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. And he will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. So no longer, it's not like the gracious relationship between, you know, God always referred to Israel not as his slaves, but as his bride. I mean, he uses bride language. And now he's saying the king is going to treat you like a slave, like a servant. Um, and you're going to cry out because of your king, whom you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord's not going to answer you in that day. But they said, no, there shall be a king over us, that we would also be like the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So they were, they were insistent. Yeah, we know, we know, we know, but we want to be like the other nations. Well, that was their rejection of God. We want to be like the other We want a man to do all these things instead of us doing these things for God, who has provided all these things for us in the first place. So there's the warning that, that God through Samuel gave of what would come when they had a king. Um, we were just getting into Saul's uh, anointing as king last time. Um, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And he has brought... Saul out to himself, and he took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Now there's there's two words I want you to kind of Kind of be mindful of there. You know, they were looking for a king, and God said that he would appoint him as prince over his people. Not as king, but as prince over his people of Israel. Showing that, who's still in charge? God is saying, I'm not giving up my place as, as your Lord, as the one who's fully in charge, but I'm going to set this up over you. And even though God set it up as you're going to reject me, Samuel still gives him a blessing, right? You will save your people from their surrounding enemies. This, you know, God is going to be with you. He's, he has chosen you. So even though the people are rebellious and asking for this, and God is sort of handing them over to their own desires, he says, I'm going to, try to, I'm going to work this for your good if you obey me. So after he anoints Saul... He calls all the people together. So there was sort of this private anointing. And then later on in chapter 10, there's the public ceremony where he's made king in front of all the people. They go to Mizpah and he says to the people of Israel, Thus it says the Lord, uh, verse 18, I brought you up, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Well, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. 
And so this is how they're going to, this is how he's going to appoint the king for them. Even though God's, God's chosen the king, he's anointed him already, and has even already confirmed it with some signs um, as Saul was making his way to the coronation, if you will. But all the tribes of Israel come near, and the tribe of Benjamin was, t- was selected by lot. They're, ca- they're, they're casting lots again. Um, I did a little reading on the casting of lots, and um, the, there's, they would have like two things, an umen and a thumen, like you were talking about, Tony. And we don't know exactly what it looked like. It could have been like uh, a two-sided rock, you know, like two two-sided rocks, and they would cast it down. And if it was like, if both blacks were up, they'd be like, you know, two no's is a no, two white sides up, two yeses is a yes, one yes and one no is no answer, you know, that kind of a thing. But God is directing it in this case. This isn't sort of like a game of chance or trying to um, fortune telling or something. This is how God has directed his people to say, you know, what God will choose, you know, yes or no, it doesn't really matter. God is in charge of this, so we can, we can cast lots to determine what's next. So Benjamin was taken, that, that, so they, they're narrowing it down again. W- when did this happen last time? Do you remember? Do you remember last time it, they, were, they started narrowing down the, the tribes again? Achan. Yeah, so they go from, from Israel... And then down, you know, they, they divide down to, to, you know, which of the 12 tribes, in this case it's Benjamin. And from that, they'll divide down again and again. Uh, so then, so Benjamin's taken, so all the Benjaminites, they come up, all their clans, their thousands or whatever that, however the word is taken. Then the clan of the uh, uh, Matriites. was taken by Lot, and then from there, Saul, the Lot fell to Saul, son of Kish. You know, Saul Kishson, <laughs> or it would be Saul Ben, ben Kish. So, um, but when they looked for him, he couldn't find him. <laughs> He's like, because when he had originally been anointed, Saul was like, "Hey, I'm just a Benjaminite. I, you know, I'm from this little. I'm from. Beth, I'm just this little. Don't don't. Why me? You know, I'm tall and everything, but yeah. Um. So they're saying, you know, so they inquired of the Lord, "Where is the man?" And the Lord said, "He's hiding in the baggage. <laughs> he's he's hidden himself amongst all the luggage." They ran and they took him from there and he stood up among the people. He was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. He's a full head taller than everybody else. And Samuel said, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. And Samuel took, told the people the rights and duties of the kingship. He wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. That's, that's possible that they actually put it in with the, with the ark with the Ten Commandments and things, maybe. Could have been just the, the repository of documents in the tabernacle. Then Samuel sent the people away to their homes. Saul went to his home at uh, Gebeah, and the men of valor who hearts God had touched. But there's already dissension, right? Verse 27. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But Saul held his peace. 
So you sort of playing a good, being a good politician, being a good king at that point. So I know I got detractors already, but it's okay. Maybe they were, maybe they wanted them to come from their tribe or their clan or you know who knows exactly. But there's Saul being anointed as king, and he goes out and he has a number of victories um, over the uh, Amalekites, I think, Ammonites, and. Uh, so he has some victories, things are going all right and things, but very quickly um, he begins to, to disobey. And Samuel had given a warning in chapter 12, 13 through 15. Um, you asked and the Lord set a king over you, verse 14. If you fear the Lord and serve him only, obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. If both you and your king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, it will be well. Oh, this sounds familiar, right? You know, keep my covenant, that things. But if you will not obey, but rebel, the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. They're setting the stage that says, you know, I'm going to be with you, even though you've done this on your own, I'm still going to be with you as long as you stay with my commandments and things. But remember, there's that cycle of things that keeps going on. You know, faithful, they fall away, they cycle back around in things. All right, so that sets that up. Now to 13, 8 through 14, here's the first instance of Saul's disobedience. Um, Samuel had sent Saul away and said, wait a week and I'll come to you and we'll make a sacrifice. Well, now in chapter 13, Saul had waited seven days, but he didn't come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. They're sort of maybe losing confidence in him. Maybe they're saying, well, he's not going to come. You know, he's starting to see that the crowd is turning on him. So what does Saul do? Saul says, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. But wait, who's supposed to offer the burnt offerings? Samuel was supposed to. But Saul, thinking that he's the, he didn't just have like another one of the priests do it or anything. He took it on him. On himself, there's the the pride of of kingship. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, right? He's beginning to say, "Well, I'm I know better than Samuel. I know better than the man of God. He took too long. I'm just going to do it. If anybody else can do it, it's me." Well, who are you? Well, I'm the king. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> you're not the priest. You're not the appointed one by God for sacrifice giving. You're the one appointed by God to do the governing, but not the priest things. And as soon as he had finished the burnt offering, Samuel came, and Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw the people scattering, he didn't come in the days appointed, and the Philistines are, are, are gathering against us, he said, they're going to come against us, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. Uh, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. So, what is Saul saying? What was the, why did he do what he did? did he, is he really taking ownership of this? I had, first he blames who? Samuel. You didn't come in the days appointed. You weren't, but as soon as you came, there, you know, as soon as, so he was on the same, he was on the right day. And I saw the people were scattering. Well, you know, I, I got to keep the people. So I'm really blaming them. You know, it's like, I, 
So I forced myself. I, I just had to do it. What else could I have done? Yeah, right. Is he really taking ownership of it? That's not really repentance, is it? That's making excuses and trying to justify himself for what he had done. So Samuel said, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. Uh-oh. What did he say if you didn't keep my commandments? I'm going to be against you and your king. Oh, no. For the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue because you disobeyed. You didn't wait on God's time. You took it into your own hands. Boy, that sounds like what Abram and Sarah did. It sounds, you know, they, we, we keep doing this, don't we? we wait, instead of waiting on God's time, we, we force things into our own time, into our own way. We say, boy, I just got to do it my way because this looks right. I just got to do it. I can't, I can't wait on God anymore. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be, there's the word again, prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So it's like, you know, the refeeling, he, he keeps referring to king like with respect to Israel, but with respect to God, it's prince. Isn't that interesting? I, I really like that. It just shows that God was not giving up, willing to give up his kingship. So, all right, so the Lord has already searched out a man after his own heart. Who's God already got in mind? He's already got David in mind. That's right. God already knows what's going to be coming. And he, but, so now God is set against Saul, and Saul continues in, in more disobedience. And this is a big one. Chapter 15. Um. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. Now, therefore, listen to the words. Thus says the Lord, I noted what Amalek did to Israel, opposing them when they came out of Egypt. Now, go and strike Amalek. Devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. Now, look, look, at, what God is, look at the judgment against Amalek here. Kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Everybody's got to... Everybody's got to die. Wipe them out because they opposed God and, and his people. So that's, that's the setup here. All right? So Saul summoned them up, set them out. They go against Amalek. And they, um, um, first he warned the Kenites, which is kind of interesting. So the Kenites split. Verse 7. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and um, Agag, 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 Agag. <laughs> and the best of the sheep and the oxen of the fattened calves and lambs and all that was good, and they would not utterly destroy them. All <laughs> that's exact. You know, you're like you're watching that. You, you seen that Peyton Manning commercial where he's like, was like uh, nationwide is on your side. And he's in the movie theater. He says, "Don't open the cellar door. <laughs> don't devote. Don't keep the good stuff for yourself." That's <laughs> good, man. It's like oh, that's not good. But what was despised and worthless, they destroyed those things. They kept the good stuff and they destroyed the bad stuff. Oh no. 
except except for um, um, Aiken, who kept well, some little idols and stuff, you know. And then he got he got wrecked. Um, but here, all the people were in on this, and really at Saul's directing. I mean, if the people aren't going to do something unless unless the king tells them to, you know. And and so Saul keeps the king alive. Why would you want to keep the king alive? You're a new king, you're new to the area, you just had a big victory. Well, yeah, it could be. Okay, all right. What about all the people that are surrounding Israel at this time? Show them off. That's exactly it. You, you know, that's what the kings of the other countries would do. They would parade around their prisoners or they would deface them. Or, you know, they did this to, Sol- uh, to um, Samson, you know, eyes and the hair. Yeah, it's all kind of good stuff. Um, so verse 10 the word of the Lord came to Samuel and this is what the word the word of the Lord came to Samuel remember what that meant again this isn't sort of like oh it came to me no this is you know hey you know we got, can I have an appointment on Tuesday at uh, 2 o'clock and we're going to get together okay, you know, so, so the word of the Lord the second verse of the Trinity comes and says what I regret that I made Saul king for he has turned back and from following me and not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Now, this is, I think, interesting. It's kind of twofold. I regret that I have made Saul king. Was there another time when God said, I regret something? You may remember. This is a deep cut. You've got you to you dig deep for this one. You got it. You got it, Beth. You nailed. It. You're you're on today. You're got you're you're hitting you're hitting a, you're batting a thousand today. God said to Noah, "I regret that that I've made the world because it's now full of sin," and He cleansed it. So here He says again, "I regret that I've made Saul king because he's rebelled against me." Look how Samuel responds. Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord day and night, all night. What what's going on there? What's what's Samuel? experiencing there. What's on his? Maybe he feels responsible. Okay. Yeah, because he's like, you know, I anointed him. I'm the spiritual guide here. Did I fail in some way? Yeah, okay. What else? Who's Samuel angry with? Um, I, I think the anger is directed towards Saul, but is crying out to the Lord all night I mean, what's, what's he trying to do there, Tony? A pity party? Well, yeah. But I mean, you know, Samuel, you know, Saul was the king, and now God is saying, I re- I'm going to withdraw this, and I'm gonna, that means that the whole nation is going to suffer for this. You know, that's really a, a lament. You know, when, when our leaders turn from God's ways and do things that are evil and destructive, you know, we, we mourn that. You know, we... You know, we cry out to God, Lord, change their heart, um, you know, correct, you know, anything but this. Um, you know, Moses, um, or um, Abraham, you know, pleading for even Sodom and Gomorrah and things, you know, it's, um, you know, Samuel was angry, certainly with Saul, but and he's crying to the Lord that for mercy. Yeah, you know, it could be he's angry at, him, at himself, too. I think that's a, you know, do I feel responsible or something? It could be. But I think he's angry that Saul turned back and he's, and he's pleading with God 
to intervene and to, to, to have mercy, really. So 12 through 34. So he went early, got Saul to come to Carmel. Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul and said, Blessed be you. Sorry, so Samuel came to Saul and Saul says to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Oh, that doesn't sound like anything you're admitting either. Samuel said, What is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? It's like, if you're supposed to do what I said to you, then you would have destroyed them all, right? Saul said, They, uh, well, they. <laughs> brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen. Why? Oh, to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. It's almost like he knows he's, he's caught, because now, he, now he's like, well, we kept them. Oh, i got to think of a good reason to keep them. Um, for sacrifices to God. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, we kept the best ones to give to God. That's what we did. Uh-uh. Samuel says, just stop. I'm going to tell you what the Lord has already said to me this night. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know? um, um, you, are the, you are the anointed, the king over Israel. Devote them to destruction. Verse 19, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and done what is evil in the sight of the Lord? Verse 20, Samuel, Saul said to Samuel, I obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord at Gilgal. See, he's still not owning it, is he? You know, so on the one hand, you know, he's sort of looking like that there's repentance or that, there, you know, you, there's not. 22, the Lord... Has the Lord a, as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. You know, and, and that's that's a theme that's going to come up through the Psalms quite a bit, and, and through the, the Old Testament. It's you know, I delight in um, repentance, not in sacrifice. You know, even God will come to him later and say, "Your your sacrifices are a stench to me; they stink." Because you're offering them um, without faith, without listening to me, without, without trust in me. You're doing it to try to appease me like you do with Baal and all these other gods. Um, what I want is for you to listen to me, to hear my word, to be my people. To obey is better than sacrifice, listening better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. So he's saying, you know, you rebelled against God by doing your own thing, and that's, that's as bad as calling on evil spirits to try to tell the future. Rebelling against God is taking matters into your own hands, just like divination is. Presumption, placing yourself in God's place, is like idolatry. Because you're really saying, I'm going to be God, not you. That's Saul's transgression there. So it's not just that he oh, I messed up, I took the wrong things. What's really behind that is 
his corruption as, as thinking, I, I know better than God. I know better than Samuel. I know better than God. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, God has rejected you from being king. Well, 24, I have sinned, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Okay, starts off good, I have sinned, I transgressed the commandment of the Lord. True statements, but I had a reason. See, repentance doesn't come with reasons. Repentance comes with, I have sinned against the Lord. Because you know, David's going to get caught later on in a huge sin, right? And, and uh, Nathan's going to come to him tells a little parable, gets caught, you know, and, and David's response is simply, I have sinned against the Lord. He doesn't make excuses. He says, I, just, I have sinned against the Lord. But I feared the people, so I obeyed their voice. Please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. I want to make a, you know, a good, and I want to make good on this. I want to make sure everybody can see, you know, you come with me too, so everybody knows that you're approving that, that I'm sorry for this too. But Samuel says, no, I will not go. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and he has rejected you. Here's an interesting little moment. Samuel turned to walk away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said, the Lord has torn the kingdom from you and given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. The glory of Israel is God, God himself. He's not going to regret this. Um, I have sinned. Honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. See, he's still, you know, all right, I've sinned, but, you know, make sure that you reinstate me before everybody. <laughs> you know, this is not repentance. You know, it, it looks like it on the surface, but it's, it's not. That's why God's rejecting it. God's not rejecting a contrite heart here. That's not God's character. God's character is to, to, to expose the reality of sin that's underneath it. That he's sort of, that he's making excuses, that he's, that he's hedging his repentance, and God is rejecting it, is trying to push him further into just saying, I've sinned. All right, so Samuel turned after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord, interestingly. He's facing Samuel, but he's bowing before the Lord. What does that mean? Why, why, would, why would they write it like that? The Lord wasn't there, but who was there? Samuel was, and Samuel is who? Samuel is God's prophet. So, you know, to... To, to bow repentantly before, not before Samuel as a person, but in reverence to the Lord, before the one that, that God appointed there. Um, Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. <laughs> hey, maybe the bitterness of death is past. Maybe I'm going to get set free or something. Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces <laughs> before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Geba of Saul, and they never saw each other again. 
five miles apart for the rest of the days. They never saw each other again. Isn't that interesting? I don't know how old Samuel was at this point, but apparently he's, he had a little bit left in him. <laughs> I mean, pretty violent, but, you know, that's what God had told him to do in the first place. And uh, I suppose that's true. Okay. Questions about Saul's uh, disobedience and his fall? Questions, comments, observations? I don't know, brutal, right? <laughs> it's like... You thought it was just in movies. <laughs> it's in the Bible. <laughs> Kill Agag, Volume 1. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That really, it, it, you know, oh, we want to give these, you know, the best of the oxen and the calves, you know, we'll give these as sacrifices and things. And God says, you know, not, no bull or goat is ever actually going to atone for your sin, but my son will. You know, it really points to, to Jesus and ultimately. Yeah. And it almost seems, you know, again, in our, in our sinful human minds, we look at the destruction of the Amalekites and we say, you know, that's what a waste. You know, oh, that's plenty, you know, good, good oxen, good cattle, good everything. And, you know, we just devote it all to destruction. Can't we use it for something good? And that, that God wasn't interested in economy. He was interested in faithfulness and, um, and, and listening better than sacrifice, you know, better than the fat of rams. You know, hearing God's word, not living on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is, is really what he's looking for. So, you know, we've got uh, the, the cycle continuing here. You know, Saul has, has fallen into unfaithfulness. And, and so that means God is going to raise somebody up now. God's going to raise up uh, one that he's already selected, and that's going to be, uh, be David. It's going to be great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz. Chapter 16. All right. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? See, Samuel is truly sorry that, you know, that Saul has fallen. He was maybe hopeful that, you know, that, that Saul could continue or that he would repent. And, I mean, that's, that's really what God wants and what, what all you know, ministers of God want is that the sinners would repent and turn. But he tells Samuel, Fill your horn with oil. I'll send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So the Lord did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem, the city of David. Oh, that's going to be important later on, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the word is, is being used almost interchangeably, alternately. Uh, it's not exclusively as prince. But really, with respect to Saul, they keep using that word prince. But now the word king creeps in pretty regularly at that same time. It's not an exclusive use, like God never calls him king. He does. You know, I've rejected him as king over Israel and things. But I think the fact that he did use it in the times he did 
was, there, there's probably a way you could study it and look at it and say he used it in this context and he used it in that context. That might tell a whole other story as well. But I just wanted to point out that he, that he did use it at times. When things are going, yeah, when things are headed the right direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah when, you're, when you're too big for your britches, you've got to remember, you're the prince, remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's a good point. Um, Bethlehem. Anybody know what the, what, the, what the town name of Bethlehem means? You know, like Cleveland, you know, land of the Cleves. <laughs> well, Beth is... Um, Beth, do you know what it means? What does Beth mean? Yes, okay, Beth means house. So like, uh, you know, Temple Beth Israel, you know, the Temple House of Israel. Beth means house. And Lahem means bread. Uh, it's different in Hebrew, but that's okay. It means bread. Um, this was a, um, a fertile area, you know, kind of the bread basket of Israel kind of idea. Think, you know, Midwest, Kansas, you know, lots of grain growing and things like that. Um, so the house of bread... And who's going to be born in Bethlehem eventually? Jesus. Jesus. And he calls himself the what? Yeah. I think that's kind of cool. I don't think it's coincidental either. But, you know, the, the bread of life is born in the house of bread. Pretty cool. All right. Uh, verse 4. A little time left. Uh, the elders of the city of Bethlehem came out to Samuel trembling and said, Have you come in peace? What? Why do you think they said that? <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't have a sword on you, do you? <laughs> no, you're not. How are you feeling today? How's your, how's your hacking arm? <laughs> uh, he says, peaceably, I have come to, to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. So he invited them and invited them to the sacrifice. And he, when, he, when they all came, Jesse and his sons, um, Eliab... Looked, uh, came before him, oldest son. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height of stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Where have we seen that maybe go wrong uh, previously? Yeah, Saul was what? tall and handsome and powerful and he was the, you know, he's, you know, king material, right? You know, yeah. Well, what does God now say? Man looks outwardly, but the Lord looks on the, the heart. Um, and really the heart in, in Hebrew poetry and language was not the seat of sort of virtue, but it was the seat of worship. You know, worship ex, uh, extended from your heart. Uh, feelings came from your guts. But um, you're, so when God is saying, I'm going to look on his heart, he's looking for one who will be what? Worshiping God, faithful to God. He's looking at faith rather than the outward appearance. Appearance. He's looking for a faithful worshiper of God. I thought that was pretty cool. All right. Um, he, he goes through others. Nope, that's not him. Nope, that's not him. Nope, that's not him. They get to Jesse. Uh, they get to the youngest. Are all your sons here? Well, there's the youngest, but 
he's out keeping the sheep. You know, it's like, what do you want the youngest for? And the sheep keepers were pretty, already then, pretty low on the totem pole. The shepherds were not esteemed. Um, but Samuel said to Jesse, go get him. I will not sit down until he comes here. So hurry up. It's important. <laughs> so he sent and brought him. Now he, we, uh, I don't even think we have his name yet at this point. Nope. And he sent him and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Interesting that they bothered to include that even after what God had just said. But ruddy, just sort of, he's sort of red-faced. And it, it, there's some suggestion that he actually might be a redhead. Um, which is kind of, there's actually a, sort of a line among Jews of, of red-headed Jews. It's kind of interesting. I'm, genetics, I, it's like magic. <laughs> All right. Um, the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, this is him. So he took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Um, two observations about the anointing of David. Who would you expect to be the next king? You've got Saul as the king. Who would you expect to be the next king? The son of Saul, right? This is supposed to get handed down. But that's not how God works. God picks the king and then establishes a line after that. Um, secondly, if you're going to pick a king from a family, you would typically pick? You'd pick the oldest one, right? And God doesn't even, it's not even that he picks the oldest or doesn't pick the oldest or doesn't pick the second oldest. He picks the, the youngest, who's also a shepherd. Yeah, well, the shepherd thing is very interesting. That obviously comes in later on as Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and the shepherd of my sheep. And that, that, all that language really comes in. You can see why David uses that language in his, in his Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not... You can almost see him sitting out there, you know, on a, on a, on a warm, you know, Judean afternoon and you know, under a tree watching the sheep and he's sort of playing his lute and, you know, whatever and, you know... Um, and he anoints him there in the midst of his brothers. Think about that. Exalting somebody not the oldest in front of your brothers. Who does that sound like? Joseph, Joseph right? It's kind of history repeating itself again. The Spirit of the Lord rushes upon David from that day forward, and Samuel went to Ramah. So that's God affirming that David is the one I've chosen. He is the one I've anointed. But Saul is still the king. And that, that, that transition is what we're going to see uh, next as David um, it sort of comes and goes from service to Saul and then the whole Goliath episode. That's where we're going to pick up, pick up next week. So, Any questions about David anointing? David's anointing. Mm-hmm. I think that would have I, I can only imagine Jesse and his brothers kind of being like what just happened here <laughs> are we are we traitors now or what's going on here I think I could, that could yeah I wonder about that yeah that, that is kind of odd I wonder about that sometimes but what did they say in response to that yeah 
Yeah, he's got to go take care of the sheep and stuff. Did, I mean, was he being specific that I'm anointing him to be king? Maybe that wasn't quite clear yet. He's God's chosen one for something. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it's, it would automatically have been inferred or not. I don't know. I'd have to look at that. But interesting. All right. Well, next week, David and Goliath. Davy and Goliath. <laughs> <laughs>